So today is kind of an introductory sermon to this series on prayer, um, on the Lord's Prayer. And so um, it's going to be a little bit different, a little more topical than normal. And um, we're going to spend seven weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer from Luke 11 and Matthew 6 in order to, to improve our prayer life. That's the goal, to, that, that the Word will change us. And so we're going to look at like, what is the kingdom of God? And what are we praying when we ask thy kingdom come? What does it mean that God is our Father? What's the implications of that? When it says, give us our daily bread, what are we actually asking for? Why did Jesus tell us to pray for forgiveness if we've already been forgiven? Um, uh, you know, and then I thought God would never tempt us, so why is it say asking, why are we asking God, don't lead us into temptation? All right, we're going to look at a bunch of these different things in prayer and look at what this Lord's Prayer, Jesus was teaching the disciples. And I'm hoping at the end, we're a bit better prayers. And this series will, will in, also introduce the corporate focus on prayer we're going to have in 2023, as we set aside some specific time for prayer in our corporate gatherings. And so, let's just jump in. What is prayer? Now, I guess probably the simplest definition is prayer is talking to God. But is that really all that prayer is? When I hear that definition, I kind of think of like defining a mother as a woman that had a baby. That's technically true, but we know that that definition is far, far removed from what it actually means to be a mother. I mean, the Handbook of Reformed Theology defines prayer as the activity of bringing all desires and thanksgiving to God with full humility and submission to His will confident that God will hear and respond. And that's a good definition. But even it just scratches the surface of what prayer is. And so for the fun of it, I asked Chat AI um, how to define prayer. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Those that do will love this. All right, so the Bible defines prayer as communication with God. It's often seen as a way to express gratitude, ask for forgiveness, or request guidance and help. In the Bible, prayer is presented as a personal and intimate conversation with God, and it's considered to be an essential aspect of the Christian faith. The Bible also encourages believers to pray regularly and in various forms, such as individual prayer, communal prayer, and corporate prayer, which is true, but that's a pretty mechanical answer, and it should be because it came from a computer. Um, and so prayer is not simply talking to God. Prayer is communing with God. What's the difference? I talk to the checkout person at Stater Brothers when we, we talk about the price of eggs and how ridiculous it is and where did the eggs go and when did we get a milk shortage and all these things. Those conversations I had this week. But I wasn't connecting with them on any intimate level. You know why? I don't know them and they don't know me. So prayer is not simply talking to God. Prayer is communing with God because that communion implies relationship and I'm Having a conversation with a God I know and a God who knows me. Prayer is us having access to the creator of the universe. What, what if you had the president's number and you knew that no matter what he was doing, if you called him, he was going to answer, he was going to listen, and he was going to respond? Would you call him? Look, I'm going to say right now, I don't care who's in office. If I've got the president's number, I'm calling that dude or her, depending on the year, right? But what we have 
is like 50 bazillion times greater than having the president's phone number. We have access to a sovereign God who spoke the universe into existence. And when we pray, he listens. Scripture teaches us that. Here's what it teaches us. God is not far off. He hears and he responds. Psalm 65.2. Oh, hear, oh, you hear prayer. To you shall all flesh come. Then you will call upon me and come and pray, and I will hear. First John 5, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then finally, Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. God hears the prayers of the saints and he responds. So if this is true, why don't we pray more? Y'all know what? Y'all want to know the answer? Prayer is hard, and we find it boring. Nothing great ever comes easy. Prayer is hard. Think of your own personal greatest accomplishment. No matter what stage in life you're in, what's your greatest accomplishment? Did it come easy, or did you have to work at it? One of the things that made it great was you had to work so hard towards it, right? Nobody ever learned a language a second language, as an adult, just cause, oh, no, oh, oh, yeah, okay, there's the random person out there that can learn 13 languages easy, right? But that's not, that's none of y'all in this room that I'm aware of. Anybody in here know more than three languages? Two, more than two? All right, just checking. Just checking. I was, I was going to say, we need to talk. I'm impressed. All right, so listen. Nothing great ever comes easy. So there's a sense in which prayer is hard by design. However, I think we make it harder needs than it needs to be. Look, I've spoken with people on this topic, and honestly, most people struggle in the area of prayer. They want to pray. For some reason, they find it hard to remain consistent, hard to remain engaged, and then they can't figure out what the problem is, and you end up feeling like a, uh, like a failure as a Christian because you didn't have the prayer life that you read about in the biography of Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield or one of these guys. And, and so, but I've never talked to any Christian who said prayer was not necessary or that they didn't want to be better at praying. Which makes sense because one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in dwelling us in our lives is to give us a desire to seek God in prayer. Romans 8.15 for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And note that that heart cry isn't just something the Christian chooses to do. It's a Godward look caused by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that gives us a desire to pray. 
but we find prayer boring. Now look, I know I have a habit of saying the quiet things out loud. The things you're not supposed to say. But I'm also one of those people thinking, let's rip the band-aid off and let's actually talk about this. If it makes you uncomfortable that I said prayer is boring, it should make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. But you know what? There's times where I find prayer boring. Joe, it happens. It happens. Donald Whitney said, the reason we find prayer boring is because we pray boring prayers. The same old prayers prayed the same old way day in and day out to the point where we feel like, why bother? We're just going to repeat ourselves. God's already heard everything I got to say. So we get to the point where we don't even feel like praying. It becomes obligation rather than spiritual discipline. And eventually obligation takes all the joy out of it. It it removes a lot of the purpose of it. And so we pray, but we don't feel like there's anything going on. And eventually we're just praying words without meaning. And it causes us to get distracted and feel like, man, I should be doing something else more productive. Now, praying the same things is normal. Let's be honest. We only have like eight, seven, eight things in normal life to pray for. That that day in, day out, it's the same things for most of us. But uh, we need to learn to pray them in a different way. And that's one of the things I want us to to learn over the next six, seven weeks. A a way that helps us communicate with God and, and commune with Him in a way that encourages us in the process. And I think this is one of the reasons that the disciples actually ask Jesus in Luke 11, teach us to pray. Their experience with prayer was what Jesus described in Matthew 6 of the Pharisees standing on the street corner using a bunch of big words and just repeating themselves. That's not what they saw in the heart of Jesus when they saw him praying and regularly praying. Teach us to pray. I think another reason... We find it hard is because we treat prayer as medicine rather than a spiritual discipline. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching the Bills and the Browns, Bengals, play football. DeMar Hamlin made a pretty routine tackle. He stood up after the tackle and he fell over. He was in cardiac arrest. The training staff went into full emergency mode for 16 minutes. They did CPR on the field with like 60,000 people in the stands watching this happen. During that 16 minutes, the players from the Bills and the Bengals together gathered on the field and took a knee and prayed together. The entire time, DeMar Hamlin was laying on the ground. People gathered at the hospital where DeMar was in critical condition. They didn't know if he was going to live or die. He did live, by the way. He actually was at Bill's training facility this week. Um, People, they, they gathered and held prayer meetings outside the hospital. The next day, hundreds of people showed up at the Bill's practice field to, uh, to hold a prayer meeting. All 32 NFL teams changed their Twitter handle to pray for DeMar. ESPN commentators prayed live on air in the name of Jesus for DeMar's healing. Prayers were filmed. Players were filmed the next week gathering together before games to pray for this man. And in the games that followed, 
You see individuals, Christians in the NFL, leading these prayer meetings for DeMar's recovery. It was an amazing public display of prayer. It, it was such, it was so unique, it actually became a news story in and of itself. Not just DeMar, but the amount of people that were praying, publicly praying for DeMar. And then DeMar recovered, and the prayer meetings went away. Why? Because the medicine worked. People prayed, DeMar was going to live. We're now back to our reg- regularly scheduled program. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking these prayers. I love seeing it. It was encouraging to me. I mean, I was watching it when the game happened, and I stopped in that moment and said a prayer for DeMar. I personally love seeing sports fans across the country gathered together in prayer, rallying around this man and what had happened to him. I love seeing an ESPN commentator live on air say, look, I know I'm probably not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, and just pray. On ESPN, by the way, which is, I'm not even getting what it's become. All right, so we should have been praying for DeMar's recovery. It was a national, it was a, it was a national thing. I know y'all don't know that man, but it was... It was, it was a big deal. And in the chaos of American culture, it was encouraging to see it happen. But I think it's a great example of what happens in our own prayer lives, how most Christians treat prayer. We get sick, we get in a crisis, so we run and we take our prayer medicine. And when the crisis is over, the infection's gone, we go back to our regularly scheduled program of praying boring prayers. But that's not how Scripture tells us to approach prayer. Here's what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Pray without ceasing. Brent read that this morning. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Be merciful to me, O God, for I'm calling on you constantly. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and to not lose heart. And then he goes on and tells them in the parable of the persistent widow who cried to the judge of the city for justice every day, give me justice. Jesus said, and will not God give justice to an elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. See, we move. We, we need to move beyond crisis prayers. And look, I prayed some crisis prayers in my life. Keep praying crisis prayers. But let's, let's move past crisis prayers. That's what, I, that's what I want us to see us do as a church. The other thing, we realize how spiritually empty We are when we pray, and that hurts. Here's what I mean by that. I actually think as we're learning to pray, this is actually part of the purpose of prayer. If you read biographies of great Christians, uh, men and women, you'll always find a portion in those biographies about their prayer life. And it's usually um, some story of they spent hours in prayer and they were so overwhelmed by the realization of who they were in relation to God, they just just spent hours just weeping. But I, I, I think part of our issue is that we talk towards God 
a lot more than we talk to God. And every once in a while, I'll hear some young, usually some young guy, get up in front of an audience and start his prayer and say, hey, Dad. You know, and, and every time I hear that, I'm like, I just, I have a little, it's a little cringe moment for me. Not because God isn't an intimate father, he is. But I think it trivializes the relationship that is so much more than anything we've ever had with our our own earthly fathers, no matter how good that relationship is. That's not the scriptural view of God as Father, and we'll we'll look at that next week, but Scripture gives us stories of the people who were changed by their humility in prayer before God, and they came to the realization that there was nothing they needed other than God. And it was a rough moment for them. It was rough. They realized, they thought, they were spiritually full, but they were spiritually empty when they saw God for who He is. And we do that when we pray and we struggle. I, I, I think probably the, the, the greatest example of this is Job. Job's, the book of Job is mostly a description of Job's prayers and how his prayer changed as God revealed more of Himself to Job and brought him greater understanding of who God is to the point where the end, Job cries out to God in his weaknesses and says, You are God, I am not. My ears had heard of you, but now I see you. And because I see you, I cry out in repentance. And when that happened, Job realized how empty he was, but he persisted in the struggle in prayer through that emptiness, and the Lord at the end restored everything that Job had lost at the beginning. I I, I read an incredible illustration of this concept just a few weeks ago. Ian Bounds tells a story of a friend who is an avid hunter, and he hunted deer with dogs. And if you don't really understand how that works, it doesn't matter for the story. But one day, as he was hunting, he had released his dogs, and they have chased. He hears the baying, the, the barking, the, the howling, and the dogs will change when they found an animal and they're pursuing it. And if you're a hunter, you know, you, when you hear that, you know there's something coming. And for him, it would have been a deer. So he hears the baying of the hounds. He hears it change, and he, he's waiting He's looking the direction of the dogs that he hears, and over the hill in the field, he sees a fawn running for its life from the dogs. And he realizes in that moment that the fawn is at its end of its strength, that it's completely exhausted. So he leaps over the rail of the fence he was standing by, and he stands in the path of that young deer, and as the hounds got closer, the deer, this baby deer, runs up to him and puts his head on the hunter's leg, and the hunter picks him up and spins away from the dogs as he's calling the dogs off the deer. And Ian Bounds said, he was astonished at the story. He said, what caused you to save the deer? And here's what the guy said. He said, in that moment, I felt that all the dogs in the West should not capture a deer who in its weakness appealed to my strength. And when we approach God in prayer, there is a moment where we realize who it is we're communicating with, and it makes us feel weak. 
I design. Push through that. Keep praying. And what you'll find is in your weakness, He is your strength. Appeal to His strength in prayer. The reason it's so hard is we realize when we have the moment where we're spiritually weak, I think we stop the struggle. We stop running towards God. Job struggled through it. It's amazing. You, you should read through the book of Job. Remove all the chapter and verse markers. You can read it in like an hour. Um, if you put the chapter and verse markers in there, about chapter two, you're going to go, man, this is really long, but it's not. I've started doing that this week. It was amazing um, how much more I can read. All right. One other thing about prayer. Prayer is mystical. Now, some of y'all probably don't like the word mystical. You need to work on that. You need to work through that. There is a mystical nature to the spiritual. And I don't just mean spiritual. I mean, there, I mean mystical. There is a profound spiritual mystery found in the heart of prayer as the instrumental means by God working out His sovereign will. God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in what? You can't remove the spiritual mystery from prayer. You can't. In fact, why would you even want to? If you remove the mystical from prayer, you know what you're left with? You're left with the Gentiles in Matthew 6 who are just rambling, saying a lot of words. It's just repetitive religion. There's no power. There's no meaning. Paul talked about this in Romans 8. Let's see if I pulled these up. I did. Great. So at Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then 26, here's what he says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Is that not mystery right there? What does that even mean? What's the Spirit doing? I, if you want me to answer it, I can't. It's the mystery. I just know he does it. And he, he who searches the heart knows what's in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What in the world is going on there? What is happening in heaven while I'm praying? I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to ever know. I don't even know if I care. Just awesome. Read it again. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray. You ever felt like that? You ever been in such a bind where you just, I, I, I'm just going to lay here, Jesus, I don't really know what to say. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the heart knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for us, the saints, according to the will of God. Thank God, somebody's praying the will of God for me, right? Look, we don't pray because, let me think of the way to word this. The reason we pray is not because there's power in prayer. We pray because there's power in the God who we're praying to. Prayer doesn't change things. 
it doesn't even change God. It actually should change you. Hey, you don't want it to change God. You know how? You know why I say that? He knows better than you do. I, you know, look, there's some pretty good theology in that Garth Brooks song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers, right? There's times I prayed some stuff and looking back went, Ooh, man, thank God he didn't answer that prayer. I, Lisa and I have been married 29 years. I, before her, I prayed, this is the one, God. This, she's, she's the one. I was like, nah, she ain't any of her. Now, now looking back, he was, God was right. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is the means that God has chosen to use to work out his sovereign will. He wants us to pray. He wants us to ask for provision. He wants us to ask for healing. He wants us to ask for help. He wants us to worship him in prayer. And his intent is to answer those prayers. And that's the great supernatural mystery that is prayer. God has chosen to act through prayer. I can't explain it. I mean, I, I could try. Just a little side note, though. Um, that's different than the Christian, Christian mystics who teach that the ultimate way to pray is mostly closer to like Eastern mysticism, transcendental meditation type thing where you just remove all thought. I don't know who those guys are, but I don't know. If you lived in my head, that's not possible. My brain never shuts down. But we're just going to remove all thought and we're going to reach some type of spiritual nirvana where we basically just channeled the, the great spirit God and, and, and we've stopped thinking and, and all those things. That is not prayer. You know how I know that? Because prayer is also rational. Oh, man, I put a lot of that slide in there. Prayer is rational. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Because after all, what are we praying? Talking is involved. There are words involved in prayer. Nowhere in the Scriptures do you not see words tied to prayer. We pray to the Father through the Son who is the Word. Martin Luther was adamant that we don't mess this up. God's words in the Bible are how we converse with Him. Here's what Luther said. He said, we must first hear the Word. And then afterwards, the Holy Ghost works in our hearts. He works in the hearts of whom He will and how He will, but never without the Word. And that's true. Prayer becomes easier as we grow in our knowledge of God. That's basically what Luther's promoting here. As we grow in our knowledge of God, we learn better how to pray. There's a concept called praying the Scriptures, and we're going to talk about it in a few weeks, but I highly, there's a, uh, Donald Whitney's got a book out on it. It's, it's very, very good. If you're looking for kind of a method model to grow in your prayers, it's just called Praying the Scriptures. And it's, it's fantastic. It's very practical. It's not one of these like philosophical things. Donald's literally going to say, here's how you do it. Here's some examples. I don't know about y'all. I like examples. That helps me. Um, but I, I, let's, let's go back to Job as an example. So throughout the book of Job, Job's crying out an agonizing prayer. He's struggling, he's complaining, he's questioning, but he never walks away from God. He never 
denies the existence of God. He, he processes, he, he wasn't, uh, I'm not going to get it. No, no. He processes all the pain and the suffering through prayer. So Job questions what's happening to him. He questions why it's happening. And then what happens? The clouds come over, a whirlwind comes up in the storm, and the voice of God speaks from the whirlwind and gives one of the most amazing descriptions. God gives one of the most amazing descriptions of himself in Scripture in in the last four or five chapters of Job. He recounts creation and, and how he sustains the universe and the natural world. And Job is left speechless. He's been talking a lot, but not anymore. He's humbled by what? He's humbled by his knowledge of God. I had heard of you, but now I see you. His understanding of God became so much deeper. And the question of the book of Job that's posed is, is it possible for a man and woman to come to love God just for being God? Is there fundamental contentment in life, regardless of circumstances, just because we know God? And the end of the book tells us, yes, but that comes only through prayer. What happened? The more Job saw God, the better, the fuller, bigger his prayers became, and they moved from complaint to confession and from confession to praise. And in the end, he broke through the struggle and was able to face everything in life, including everything he had lost, even when he didn't know he was going to get it back. He found contentment in God, and he found it through prayer. And the power of prayer isn't found in technique. You can learn to pray. You can develop things that will help you pray. The power is found in the knowledge of God. And we find the knowledge of God through His Word. And that's the only place you find the knowledge of God, the Word of God. If you're getting any information about God and it's not from the Word of God, stop it. Because today, look, Job heard God speak out of a whirlwind. But you know what we have is better? Hebrews 1 tells us, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and at many times, and in various ways. But in the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of His being. What we have is better than a whirlwind. We have the Word of God. You want to know God, know His Word, and that'll help you in your prayers. Last thing, prayer is necessary. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Paul is wrapping up the letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he gives three directives. They're all tied together, okay? These three things are not separate things. They're all kind of build on each other in different ways. Rejoice always in every circumstance, not just in the good ones, and, but also the bad ones. Pray without ceasing. You can't do the second one without the first one. 
Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice. Praying, thanking is the will of God for the Christian life. And if you want the kind of life that has the ability to practice these, you need all three of these working together to fulfill it. Prayer is necessary for the Christian life. Now, some of y'all might have heard this sermon and thought, who's he talking to? I don't struggle with my prayer life. Great, good for you. So for the rest of us, for the rest of us, I'm praying, God, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Now, where's the best place to start? With prayer. Pray. And when you run to that boring moment, pray different. Struggle through it until it becomes easier. Read the Word. Gain an understanding of God. Open the Word of God. Open the Psalms and pray through that Psalm. Because the Psalms are just prayers. My prayer is, God, teach us to pray, increase our faith, move us forward in our prayer lives as individuals, move us forward in our prayer lives as a church, because prayer is too important to not. Prayer makes us more like Jesus. It shows the heart of God. Prayer aligns our will with God's will, which we need. It helps us fulfill the mission of proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the world. God, teach us to pray. So that's what we're going to try and do over the next six weeks. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and that template for prayer and see if at the end of it, we're not just a little better at praying.